And I think it's a great example about how closely we're connected. You know, you might not bike, but you're connected to people that do. Absolutely. And, you know, if we're all kind of conscious that the people, you know, under the helmets and bike gear and all of that, you know, they're real people and they're trying to get home to their, you know, family and, you know, get to point A and B. Um, they're not just like some like agro cyclist that you don't like. It's like, no, they have families, Indeed. they have lives. From this to this. This is Livable City, a regular podcast guiding us on a journey to more human places. I'm your host, Jim Hodap. I'm excited you're here to learn, to listen, and to lead. Hey everyone, it's Jim Hodap. A warm welcome back to another episode of Livable City. We finally got a decent snow the other day here in Chicago. And I wouldn't say that I love winter, but I do love a peaceful and beautiful snowfall. The city always seems extra cozy to me and more human to me when it snows. Maybe that's because it causes everyone to slow down a little bit, be a little more cautious and intentional where they're going. I personally love when the world causes us to slow down and reminds us about how precious our human connections to each other truly are. Winter does this for me, and it's definitely a love-hate relationship that I have with winter. So we've talked a number of times already on Liberal City about the humble bicycle being an amazing transportation tool. As I think about bikes again, they represent the following to me. True freedom of mobility that does zero net damage to the place around it. In fact, it has a net positive impact. They provide a therapeutic silence. They most definitely provide happiness. Bikes bring a direct human connection to where you live. And lastly, they bring a sense of belonging that maybe only biking and walking can bring. But bike lanes are sometimes controversial in communities because they're seen as something encroaching on the space, the efficiency, and our limited time in getting somewhere by a car. Love cars or hate them. For many places in the world, they're the primary and many times currently the only way of getting somewhere. And we're not here to solve this debate once and for all on this podcast. But I'll make a quick shout out to the podcast called the war on cars. They're trying to have a thoughtful conversation around the role of cars in daily life. Now back to bicycles. My guest today believes that one should be able to choose to use their bike to get somewhere and not feel like their life is threatened, particularly in dense towns or cities. My guest is Christina Whitehouse, founder of the popular bike lane obstruction reporting and analytics software platform called Bike Lane Uprising. Christina shares the genesis of Bike Lane Uprising how to use it, and where it might be heading in the near future. She also shares a very helpful perspective that most of our city leaders do their very best with the tools that they're given. Like previous guests Joanna Taft brought up, it's critical that we lead with empathy first and always, even when we're frustrated by dangerous situations, like the lack of safety in biking around where you live. It's only with empathy that change is even possible for anything. We many times forget how important empathy and mutual understanding are, towards bringing about meaningful change. Before we get into the conversation, I just want to say that if you're really enjoying Livable City and it's becoming a favorite of yours, as well as helping you think about leading change where you live, consider supporting us by becoming a paid member. Visit the website livablecity.co and click on membership for more details. It's definitely worth supporting us and I'll continue to bring not only more great content, but more unique value to each membership. All right, no more delay. Let's get on with the good stuff. Christina, welcome to Livable City. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, so tell us a little bit about you and your work advocating for better places through Bike Lane Uprising. Yeah, so Bike Lane Uprising, it's a platform for documenting bike lane obstructions as well as unsafe bike lanes. And with the data that contributors submit to our database, we're able to take that data and highlight problem areas as well as repeat offenders and other um, insights surrounding bike lane obstructions in the hope to prevent them in the future. Oh, that's awesome. How did you, uh, how did you get started in that? In 2016, I was biking to the Merchandise Mart in Chicago. Uh, I was on a divvy and I was stopped at a red light. A uh, driver of a commercial truck came up along my left. They started entering into my bike lane so sharply that they not only entered into the bike lane, but they actually drove onto the sidewalk to my right. Oh, wow. Uh, and it took me actually pushing myself off of the side of their truck to prevent myself from going underneath their back wheels. Oh, my goodness. And when that happened, I chased after the truck for two blocks. <laughs> You're brave. <laughs> well, we always hear trucks have blind spots, and I wanted that person to know what had happened, and I wanted that to stay with them so that they'd be more careful on the rest of their route. Uh, I caught up with the truck two blocks later, right as they were about ready to enter into Lower Wacker, and I got them to roll down their window, and I asked the driver, do you realize that you almost ran me over? And he stone-faced said yes. Wow. At least he was honest. Holy cow. And he took off again. Wow. I tried to reach out to the company. The company never responded to anything. Uh, two weeks later, um, the first share bike rider in the United States was killed in Chicago in a very similar circumstance on a divvy, about the same age, same setup with a commercial truck. And it just stuck with me. Wow, that's crazy. So before that incident, had you done anything about advocating for safer streets or no. anything urbanism? Nope. So I hadn't um, even considered it. Describe describe your life a little bit before that. What was it like? I think out of all of my friends, I would have been the least likely to be affiliated with anything biking. <laughs> Uh, when I had started this, it was kind of like this just like underground thing that I was doing. And I didn't really like tell a lot of like my friends and like coworkers and stuff like that about it. And all of a sudden it became very popular, very fast. And it was on the news, um, every night for like a week. That's amazing. It made like local and national news. And I was getting text messages from my friends asking, are you on the news right now? What is this? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's just been kind of a, whirl a whirlwind since then. That's amazing. So now, um, post starting bike, bike lane uprising and your incident there with the truck, um, you know, it's obviously blossomed into something quite large, quite influential. It's expanded to multiple cities, right? Just yeah. also beyond Chicago. Yeah, it spread via word of mouth and social media. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, would you say that you have more of a general interest in city streets now and, and advocating for um, bike safety or general safety? I... So what's interesting is everyone always assumes that I'm a diehard cyclist and that, you know, all of this, uh, I actually walk more than anything. <laughs> so most of when I document bike lane obstructions, it's when I'm uh, walking. Uh, it, I have a interest in environmentally friendly things just in life in general. And I think biking really offers an opportunity for people to have access to opportunity 
Chicago, as an example, is very segregated as far as the transportation systems. And biking really allows you to just get a little bit further than where walking might allow you to. Uh, and, you know, our public transit, it's very difficult. Um, so I think there's just a lot of opportunity that biking brings, both from like an environmental standpoint, as well as just like a like basic economics. Yeah. So say more about that. What what about the environmental aspects are interesting about biking and walking to you? I mean, I come from like a product development background and it's really hard to make things simple. It's very easy to make something complicated. And, you know, right now the, the sexy thing is like automated driving and, you know, doodads on cars and, you know, consoles that like will let you play games while you're driving and all of this stuff. And it's like, you know, we have the technology to just have an environmentally friendly way to get around. And it's just a bike and it's been around forever. <laughs> the problem with it is people can't bike anywhere because it's not safe. And the bike lanes that we have are there in a sense. There's limited amounts of them. 6.7% of Chicago bike lanes uh, or are uh, of travel lanes are bike lanes. And the ones that we have are pretty sad. Uh, they're often ill-maintained. They include sharrows, paint-only bike lanes, and the ones that we do have are being used for free parking, extra travel lanes, and it's not safe. So people don't really feel comfortable with it. There's a lot of opportunity to get a ton more people on bikes more frequently if there were safe bike lanes. Yep. And what would be the advantage of that to Chicago to have that happen, right? More people biking. I mean, with ride shares coming, uh, even more and more prevalent in our everyday uh, downtown, we're seeing the gridlock, we're seeing the negative impact. You know, it came through as like, oh, wow, this is this great thing. But now we're starting to see a lot of the negative ramifications from that. And if we had other opportunities to get through the downtown metropolitan areas, whether as well as other sections, it would really reduce a lot of that traffic. We need more people-protected places, not just auto-protected places. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for those who aren't super familiar with Bike Lane Uprising already, can you describe a little bit how it works, What yep. what's intended use for? So it works by uh, people signing up to become a contributor. And uh, all contributors are anonymous, so anything that you submit is anonymous outwardly. Uh, we do have the ability to reach out. Sometimes it is necessary. And and there's oftentimes um, the need to follow up with the cyclist or get more information. We've had a lot of those circumstances, uh, but we don't provide the personal information of the cyclist. Once the, the submitter adds their record to the database, then we use that to map out problem areas. We also do a lot of data analysis to identify repeat offenders. Um, we identify where all of these are coming from, like from category standpoints, as well as, you know, like what types of companies, uh, who are the companies, like actual who are the company names. Um, we can also look at what states of plates we're seeing pop up the most. And from that, we're able to identify, you know, who can help advocate for helping us resolve those. So as an example in Chicago, uh, we're becoming quite familiar with a lot of the aldermen and city officials. They know who we are. I bet. So, you know, there's a lot of the things that we try to just kind of take care of on our own. Um, but when we do kind of get stonewalled or something like that, we 
we have the opportunity to kind of take things up the channel. So there's aldermen that we've been able to tap when, you know, like a company's like, I don't care, we'll do whatever we want. And then like within an hour, we'll have the alderman's <laughs> office on the phone with their company. So That's amazing. Um, it's been... It's been an interesting road. When I started this, I was concerned that I was going to have um, uh, city officials, you know, very unhappy about this and angry and all of that. And that, you know, I'd have to be, you know, answering calls to all of these people in um, like government in some capacity. Well, I am answering those phone calls and I am answering those emails and meetings. But um, so far, a great deal of them are very like happy with what we're doing. Um, through Bikeline Uprising and, and talking with your various aldermen in the city, like how have you seen um, your advocacy work for safer bike lanes through Bikeline Uprising change the perception that aldermen have and, and other leadership in the, in the city, or have you seen it? I mean, it's kind of hard to tell, right? Um, you know, we just see it from our side. Mm-hmm. I, I come from a user-centered design background, so in a lot of what we're trying to provide from an output standpoint, you know, while the cyclists are our users, you know, the city officials are also our users, and we need to be designing outputs that are best utilized for them so that they can do their jobs. And instead of them getting, you know, angry phone calls and emails and all of that from each individual submission, you know, they're able to see the aggregate of all of that and get some, you know, insights, kind of the forest between the trees. As an example, you know, we have almost 20,000 submissions in our database right now that have been collected in two years. I mean, could you imagine being an alderman getting all of those phone calls? Oh my gosh, no. (laughs) That'd be overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. So in essence, um, you're making their job a bit easier. Attempting to. Yeah. Um, You know, I think instead of just trying to point the finger of, oh, you know, the city's not doing, you know, enough or anything like that. Like we are trying to roll up our sleeves and actually do some of the work and be a part of the solution. Um, And I think there's a decent amount of city officials that do recognize that. Yeah, that's fantastic. So this journey of creating Bike Lane Uprising and advocating for bike lanes for Chicago, um, how has it changed you as a person? Uh, So I also have a car. Uh, I am a better driver. (laughs) I've also, uh, I make my boyfriend, who also drives my car from time to time, uh, make him a better driver around, you know, cyclists and things like that. Uh, we recently were in the car and there was a cyclist uh, in front of us. And, you know, based on all of my backseat driving to him, he was actually driving much more, you know, hospitably towards the cyclist. And because of that, he was forcing all the other cars behind to do that as well. And come to find out, the cyclist was actually his coworker. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, and I think it's a great example about how closely we're connected. You know, you might not bike, but you're connected to people that do. Absolutely. And, you know, if we're all kind of conscious that the people, you know, under the helmets and bike gear and all of that, you know, they're real people and they're trying to get home to their, you know, family and, you know, get to point A and B. Um, they're not just like some like agro cyclist that you don't like. It's like, no, they have Indeed. families, they have lives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one thing I noticed uh, that I didn't expect when I first moved to Chicago is I, I randomly run into people that I know. I didn't expect that here uh, coming from Indy. So Indy's like a two million person metro wide city. Chicago's about 10. It's Never the biggest small city. It is, yeah. The biggest small city. Which is to your point, right? You never know. You might, if, if you're driving recklessly and there's somebody cycling next to you, 
you might run your friend off the road. There's a yeah. good chance. Yeah. Um, and with that being said, the bike lane uprising community is getting so large that just recently, so in May, we had an event where everyone um, signed up, they adopted bike lanes, they went out, they documented the, the quality of the lane, whether the paint was faded, bollards, potholes, stuff like that. And um, at the after party, I was talking to one of the volunteers. And coincidentally, just recently, they messaged me and said that they were involved in a hit and run. Uh, somebody had hit them. They needed surgery. Coincidentally, somebody got the whole thing on uh, video. That person was also a bike lane uprising volunteer. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, and both independently reached out to me. I was like, I actually know who you're talking about. Wow. So, that's, I that's mean, incredible. it's a, it's definitely fanning out. It's a, there's a very strong um, user base in Chicago. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love experimenting, and one thing I'm trying with this episode is a mid-episode break. It's helpful as a way to take a quick breather and think about what it is you think and how you feel about the conversation that I'm having with my current guest. I hope it's a time where you can refocus in case your attention was drawn elsewhere without even noticing it. I encourage you not to skip over the break, but just to pause. Enjoy the music. Collect your thoughts. The conversation with Christina will resume shortly. to add the same broad question to everybody I interview. Um, what do you think are the important qualities of a place that make it livable to you? I mean, it's got to be focused on the people, you know, your quality of life. Like, where do you want to just sit and be for like a half hour? Like, what would make you want to take your photo for, you know, Instagram? Like, those are the places that you like, you're kind of drawn to. You know, people don't really take photos of parking lots. <laughs> <laughs> Except maybe the person that uh, has to maintain it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> That would be an interesting Instagram account, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> How about Chicago? Anything about it that is particularly livable? I mean, we have the winter. So, it you know, people are just trying to get as fast as they can from, you know, point A to point B in the winter. You know, it's kind of a slog. Uh, in the summer, it's fantastic. And everybody just wants to be outside as much as they, you know, can. And you know, the more we have those areas for people to get to and from as, you know, as quickly as they can, as safe as they can, as well as having those time, you know, those spaces in the warmer weather for them to just kind of sit and be and enjoy, um, you know, that really kind of draws the community out. Yeah. How about um, some of the areas you think Chicago needs some work on, on livability? I mean, our bike lanes are yeah. <laughs> very disconnected yes, and yes. you know that really comes down to a lot of issues um that are pretty systemic as well as um you know you can have aldermen that are very pro biking and then you can have aldermen that are not pro biking and they can really make or break the the plan for um you know urban layouts yeah indeed um so getting back to your advocacy work through Bike Lane Uprising, talk a little bit about how effective the use of data has been in, in your advocacy work. Yeah. So there's like one-off, you know, kind of like uh, anecdotal, you know, circumstances to where we've reached out to companies. And, you know, not all companies know what their drivers are doing when they're not around. So 
we kind of go through it in the sense like, okay, let's just assume that they don't know and they want to know. You know, if I was the owner of a company, I would not want my brand plastered on the side of a vehicle doing illegal things. Brand degradation, not a good thing. So if we can provide them some sort of feedback of what's happening, they can reach out to their employees, they can better train them and nip it in the bud. And then there's also the the times to where we've identified problem locations that we've been able to get infrastructure changes, you know, actually brought in. There's been um, the times that we've actually identified hit and runs. So, or there's people that say, oh, no, 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 this was only a one-time thing. And then our database shows that there's a history of it. Uh, there's been cyclists that um, last year, there was a cyclist in Greektown that was killed. Uh, our database showed that the company had been blocking bike lanes and Prior to that cyclist death, there were three submissions in the database. Right about now, there's about 20. Oh, wow. And they were blocking bike lanes the very next day, like two days afterwards. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you um, you take that data then and you provide it to the city leaders. And what, what have they typically done with it? I mean, they uh, so all city departments and everybody kind of has their own initiatives, right? Yep. Um, very disconnected oftentimes. Yes. So they're all trying to use, you know, insights for different reasons. Um, aldermen really only care about their ward at the end of the day, or if they're on like a specific committee or something like that. Uh, and then you have, you know, CDOT that is more in charge of the actual design and upkeep and things like that. And then you have um, the Department of Finance, and they're more in charge of the ticketing. And I know that the city of Chicago is on our website quite frequently. What do you think is the balance between data versus a personal connection to some of these uh, leadership offices of the city or other advocacy groups in Chicago? What's that balance? Uh, What do you mean? The balance between um, using hard data to advocate versus a personal relationship and kind of the emotional appeal. I think both are important. I think that the data gives you a signal that there's something going on there. Mm -hmm. And then when you compare it to qualitative insights, it makes it more real and more tangible. Uh, A lot of the times the data that we bring forth gets a lot of devil's advocacy. And from the qualitative insights that we also collect, we're able to, you know, kind of shoot down a lot of those devil's advocates issues. So one of the thing is, oh, there was probably no other parking. Actually, you're way more likely to get submitted to the bike lane uprising database if you park in the bike lane and there's a huge row of empty parking right next to you. And you can see it in the photo. So the photos are showing it. Yeah, it's amazing. So switching gears a little bit, um, I like to talk on Liberal City about advocating in general for more liberal places. So many people have lots of ideas for change, but they ultimately like forget about it. And so, you know, I can't do anything. I'm Who am I to do something? Or they have a great idea and they just forget about it after a while. Um, what pushed you to deciding that you were somebody that could do something? So, again, I come from a product development background. Um, and the background specifically, you know, its niche is identifying problems And, you know, just understanding that the more you get to know a problem, the more opportunities you have to actually do something about it. And, you know, problems are really just opportunities to actually have in 
a point of innovation. And through that, we've taken the problem of bike lane obstructions, the problem that the cyclists were having, you know, feeling that nobody cared and nobody was listening and taking things out on, you know, the drivers themselves and giving them some sort of an outlet that was a little more positive and future focused. Uh, and then also understanding the problem of the city officials. And because we're not actually, you know, a part of the government, we're afforded things that the, the government isn't afforded. And we can act a little more nimbly than they can. Yep. But what actually made you decide, you know, you don't have a professional degree in, you know, urban planning or anything like that. What made you decide? You do in design, though. You do in design. Yeah. Okay. In design, user-centered design, product development, yep. making things. But what made you say, like, I can do this versus, you know, I'll create something and then somebody else might do something with it? So my background is to take something in the advanced development space where it's absolutely nothing. You identify a problem, you research it, and you iterate on it, and you make something. And that's just, that's what I know. So you took that expertise um, basically from your day job and you applied it to a problem that you saw in Chicago. As well as just in transportation. Yeah. Um, you know, like urban planning isn't always super like sexy and, you know, all of that. It doesn't, it's not super glamorous to, you know, the outsiders. It doesn't really get a lot of um, attention. Uh, but everything in your life, everything is designed by somebody. And it's just a matter of how well they understood the problem that they were trying to solve. And, you know, the problem that I saw, I tried to dig in and I tried to provide some sort of a outlet for that. What would you say to some of our listeners who, you know, maybe feel a little bit of imposter syndrome in, in what they want to accomplish where they live? How, how should they get started? One step after the other. I mean, I came out of nowhere. I mean, people in the biking yeah. community had no idea who I was. <laughs> uh, I mean, but people kind of know who I am now. Um, I don't really attach my name terribly to Bike Lane Uprising because it's not really just a one person, you know, thing. It's a it's the culmination of everyone doing a little bit in it all kind of moving towards the common goal. And that's kind of the uprising, right? Like if it's just me, then it doesn't really mean that much. Um, <laughs> that's much kind of our brand. For one, yeah. You know? Um, yeah. So with that being said, you know, I was kind of the imposter, really, if you think about it. But it's not about like me designing something for myself. If you design something only for you of a user base of one, then that's not really helping multiple people. So I come from a background to where you're supposed to understand for designing for all types of people and understanding all of those unique demographics and needs. What's been the most surprising thing about the community that has formed organically around this? So starting out, I really was just like, I just want the data in the database and all of that. I had no idea how to use Twitter. I am not a social media person whatsoever <laughs> yep. in my personal space. You're pretty good at it now, <laughs> I must say. <laughs> yeah, I think the that's kind of the joke. It's like, I figured out how to use Twitter. I said that <laughs> last night and somebody's like, yeah, I think you figured it out. <laughs> Um, so yeah, in my personal space, I don't do any of that. Um, but you know, I'm, I've worked on some teams and a couple of them have said, you know, I'm definitely the fighter, you know, I'll definitely get it done. And, you know, I think I've been able to apply that to Bike Lane Uprising. Yeah, indeed. So what's next for Bike Lane Uprising? I mean, continuing to grow, um, 
you know, the first year um, of like a full year of existence was 2018. And in that first year, we actually surpassed um, all of the tickets issued in Chicago. And in that there's 13 and a half thousand ticket writers that have the ability to write tickets for bike lane obstructions. And we surpassed the amount of records in our database. And then also we outpaced the 311 uh system and that includes a 35 million dollar app that the city paid for as well as a phone bank and all the city salaries that went into that on top of it and our database um, collected almost double and this year uh, the year hasn't even closed and we're probably triple the submissions that we had last year that's amazing yeah Um, do you have a team behind you So a lot of what you see is me. Um, And then as it started to grow, really smart people just like reached out and said, I want to help out with this. What can I do? So we do have a team of volunteers as well. Awesome. That's really exciting. I'm I'm excited to see what else comes from it. Um, Same. How many, how many cities are you in now? I think cyclists from about like 90 cities have signed up and then, you know, like varying degrees of, you know, activity amongst the cities. Uh, this summer, Minneapolis really joined in and there's a lot of activity there. I feel like they're going to be like rivaling Chicago. <laughs> and, you know, even when you try to compare it based on population, uh, it's pretty surprising how fast everyone jumped in. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, can any city just sign up? Like, how's that work? Um, yeah, so you can submit from anywhere. I mean, so that was kind of how it spread outside of Chicago. When this started, I realized that, you know, while I was designing it for Chicago, there was really no, there was nothing really preventing people from submitting from other locations. I didn't really anticipate it spreading outside of Chicago. But when it when it got all over the news, local and national news, you know, people just started, you know, kind of latching on. It in, it had already spread via word of mouth to D.C. And, you know, from there it was about, like, how do you kind of scale it and make it more appropriate for all cities? And so right now there's quite a few cities for people to, you know, choose from um, kind of within reason. It's more kind of focused on the metro. So if you're outside of the metro, but you're, you know, that's the closest location, just pick the metro. Everything gets mapped based on the geolocation. So just pick the metro. (laughs) (laughs) So I know obviously safety around cycling is, is key for Bike Lane Uprising's Mm -hmm. mission, but do you have along the way, um, more specific goals for it? How do you, how do you measure that success? It's kind of hard. It is. Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, that's like the million dollar question. Um, we're finding, you know, systemic issues along the way that cause people to maybe not want to bike or people that are biking to face more hurdles than maybe other people. Uh, females and minorities are statistically more likely to get killed and injured while biking. And minorities in the city of Chicago are actually targeted by the city of Chicago police. And they use biking on a sidewalk as a way to stop and frisk. Our database pretty early on identified that the Chicago Police Department are top bike lane offenders themselves. So we're identifying that as entrapment, if you think about it. I mean, 
so there's things like that that we'll be able to, you know, kind of draw attention to. We're actually, uh, we've been in contact with the Inspector General's Office of Chicago, specifically about the Chicago Police Department uh, parking and bike lanes. Wow, that sounds promising. We'll see. Yeah. So if anybody wants to get involved with Bike Lane Uprising, either as a submitter or if they want to volunteer more deeply with you, um, you have you have some... Uh, ways they can do that? Yeah. Uh, so on the website, there's a tab that says ways you can help, and there's a list of options. You can sign up to be a contributor to the database. You can sign up to be a volunteer. You can uh, support us financially, and you can also buy some merch. That sounds great. Um, so as we close this conversation, do you have any final thoughts you want to leave with our listeners? Don't park in bike lanes. <laughs> Not even for a second. <laughs> don't do it. You will end up in our database. You don't want that. <laughs> Sage advice. Yeah. So you mentioned your website before, but where else can people find you? Uh, we have been uh, identified as having a very active Twitter account. Um, it's probably the most active out of all the social media uh, platforms. Uh, next up is, you know, Instagram. Uh, it's apparently where the kids are these days-ish. <laughs> and then um, way, way, way down the line is Facebook. <laughs> Perfect, yeah. I'll, I'll put those specific links in the show notes for this yeah. episode. So um, if you have no final thoughts, uh, Christina, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for taking the time to be on the show. Thanks and, for having uh, me. You know, I think we'll have to do this again sometime soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Thank you. I absolutely love the entrepreneurial spirit that Christina brought to a very real problem that she faced in biking to and from places safely. She realized that she didn't know exactly how to solve the issue of unsafe conditions for biking in Chicago, but she did know how to at least try. Christina took her existing skills of product design experience, particularly around software systems, and just started experimenting. The most important outcome, in my opinion, is not the tool that she created, even if it is a very effective and amazing piece of work. I think the most important outcome is that she decided to take action as one person, and then a dynamic community of people sprung up around her, ready to help her figure out. Just think about how much more effective Christina is now with tens, hundreds, or even thousands of people participating to humbly shed light on the important issue of their own safety. Together across multiple towns and cities, these people work as an effective team learning from each other as they go. Who knows if this effort will actually make enough difference to reevaluate the status of biking around the world, but the main point is that they have a shot at it together. They are trying to figure it out. Those are some of my thoughts on this conversation, and I'd love to hear some of yours. As always, you can email me at thelivablecity, all one word, at gmail.com. Follow and contact me on Twitter or Instagram at the livable city and you can also join the facebook group for community conversation under the group name livable city thank you as always i love making this podcast for you all and i will continue to do so as long as i possibly can i've heard that it's starting to make a difference and that's all i need to hear to know that we're heading in the right direction together as always remember first to listen learn and then lead <laughs>